Welcome back, everybody, to Rules of the Arena. This week, Justin was up with me again in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. We sat down with local craft spirit maker, Perlick Distillery. We got to sit with Scott down in their tasting room. I had a fun time talking to him, and I really hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome back, everybody, to a brand new episode of Rules of the Arena. Justin is back with me for one final show up here in the Northwoods, and you guessed another show about booze. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> Today we are sitting down at Perlix Distillery in Sorna. Why? You're doing great. Wisconsin. <laughs> Do a trip. <laughs> and we've way. already had a couple, already had a, our first cocktail. And we're talking with the master distiller, Scott Perlick. Thank you, Scott, for coming out on the show. Want to just introduce yourself to the folks listening? Yeah, so uh, my name is Scott Perlick. I own and operate Perlick Distillery here in Sorona, and uh, I don't know what else to say about that. I would say, though, not Master Distiller. When we started this up, I uh, was re- I was wondering what I should put on my business cards, right? Distiller, owner, Master Distiller. And I read an article where somebody said, uh, you know, all these breweries and distillers are starting up, and they're all putting Master Brewer, Master Distiller. I said, if you're such a master, how come nobody's heard of you yet? Right. I said, okay. Fair. Fair, fair enough. Play. So I'm just the distiller. <laughs> I'm a master at anything. The vodka chef. <laughs> <laughs> so this actually started off as a farm, which is a wonderful backdrop behind us. When did your family start the farm here? Yes, yeah, so my family's been up here in northern Wisconsin since the 1920s. Um, we uh, farmed since the 1920s, I guess. So I'm the fifth generation being up here now, and uh, my dad runs the farm, but uh, the farm that we're at now um, was purchased by my grandpa in the 1950s. That's where my dad grew up. My grandpa passed away in the 90s, um, mid-90s, and uh, my dad took the farm over, so we had about 30 acres and 30 cows, dairy cows. Sold off the dairy cows and just started crop farming. So now we're a little over 2,000 acres. At our height, um, it was about 3,000 acres. And uh, my dad's getting a little older and slowing down and, and doesn't want to farm quite as much. So Did you grow up on, working on the farm then? I did, yep. Imagine that was just a great time. Yeah, it was. <laughs> well, if you see our floor in here, we have rocks on the floor. Mm-hmm. And there's a reason for that, right? Mm. As a kid, I had to pick rocks all the time. So <laughs> I, found a, uh, I found a use for them. We found a guy that could cut those field stones and sure. split them. So we made them into our floor. So I can walk all over them now. So I just picking them and piling them up in the field. <laughs> And I think, well, actually, last time I stopped in here, you're still about halfway through yeah, I think setting the floor that. yourself. Yeah, I took all summer last summer to get this floor. <laughs> so what did your, why did your family settle here? Is there a particular reason for the land? Or? Um, I think they're just dumb Germans and got duped into coming up here. <laughs> so they ended up here. And did they start with the 2,000 acres you said at the peak? It was 3,000. Yeah, so like I said, they, when my grandpa passed away, it was about 30 acres and 30 dairy cows. So um, that was in the... I think in the early 2000s is when my dad started actually farming it and getting it running. So, um, yeah, since then is where the land accumulation has come in. And, yeah. and now you're strictly grain. Yep. No dairy grain. animals. How many, what types of grains are you cultivating here? Yes, yeah, so we do um, primarily, um, well, well, corn, soybeans, um, wheats, obviously for the distillery here, but we've grown that before the distillery. Um, we have sunflowers, and actually look just a little... To the east here, there's a sunflower field that's going to be a, a maze. It is a maze, and the first two weeks of August, um, that'll bloom, and we'll have the sunflower maze out here. So we do three or 400 acres of sunflowers a year. Um, we have uh, done flax. Um, we do some rye, um, a bunch of other stuff, too. So, yeah, so it's not the just full, one or two crops. Yep. 
basically whatever can grow up here. Sometimes stuff that isn't supposed to grow up here. <laughs> so when did you start to think that you wanted to open a distillery? When did that start to form as an idea? Yeah, so is that probably my dad's idea, I mean, 18, 19 years ago. But the whole point of it was how do we take the grain we're growing here and make something out of it here versus selling it off as a commodity. Because one of the problems we have as farming is we never name the price of what we're growing, right? We can always be as efficient as possible making it, but ultimately the price of what we're selling is determined by just forces that are totally outside of our control. So how do we take those variables and, um, and internalize them, right, and control them? So the only way you can necessarily do that is by actually being the middleman and making something here with the grain we're growing. So that's kind of where the, the idea came from. And it didn't really matter if it was a uh, winery or brewery or, or distillery. Um, obviously, we don't go grapes, so that was wineries out of the question. But uh, so we kind of settled down distillery, and that's that's what got us going on it. I was with my dad doing the farm; he wasn't going to take the time to start this up. So it was kind of the right point in my life I could uh, move back and give it a shot. And here we are. And you opened up 2014. Yeah, so we started in 2014. We actually opened in May of 2015. So we're at five years, um, just past our five-year mark. Sure. And grain selection, did that influence your choice to start with vodka, or did you think vodka and then kind of reverse engineer it back? Yeah, so we were going to do a bunch of different stuff. That was kind of my goal when we started this out. We were going to do a gin, vodka, whiskeys, and actually we were going to do a whole bunch of different types of vodka. We'd do a wheat vodka, corn vodka, you know, run the whole gamut on that, everything we grew. Um, I actually had a rye vodka made, and uh, it tasted decent, um, but the bottles got messed up in printing. And uh, so we had the wheat bottles, but we didn't have the rye bottles ready. And this is right when we were opening. So we just started with the wheat, and we were really fortunate. Um, people seemed to really like the wheat vodka and, and what we were making, so just kept making it. We really didn't have the capacity to switch and do anything else. So that's where we got the wheat vodka from. And have you kept it as a family affair, or have you had to bring in outside help to get things rolling? No, we've basically done it all ourselves. Um, you know, as far as ownership it is, we don't have any outside investors. Um, yeah, it's basically been all just, just us. And so what are the first steps of, to start a distillery? I mean, obviously you need a building and a still, but I mean, what were, what were you looking at? Yeah, so the... Get the ball rolling. Very first thing is always uh, the rules, right? <laughs> and the licenses and everything else. And it's kind of funny, we have a, a guy here from, uh, from Kenya, and um, he's going to school in, in Rice Lake, and he wants to start up a distillery when he goes back to Kenya. And so he came over here, he's helping me out a little bit, he helps on the front side of things, but he asked me the same thing, you know, what was the first thing we needed to do? And I said, well, you need to look at your rules and regulations on making that. And he laughed at me and he said, what were rules and regulations? <laughs> so, um, but unfortunately, in the United States here, there's a lot that go along with making alcohol. So that was, that was the first thing is, um, can we do this and can we do it legally? So. And did you navigate that yourself? Or did you, I did. Is there a lawyer out there? Or is there even a, a company that helps navigate Oh, that yeah, there's, there's lots, of, lots of attorneys, lots of firms that will help you navigate it. And they also... <laughs> help take your money a lot too. So no, we did that all on did that all on our own. How much red tape is there to get through? I know I like I said before, I've been on the the brewing side of the house and to see some of the laws and regulations that have been tried to pass and have been passed for better or for worse. It seems Yeah, so like <clears throat> sometimes it's some of the distillery side of things there's not a lot of, of legislation on, right? If you look at the the um, distillery side of all the legislation is like a paragraph, which is kind of nice because it's pretty um, pretty self-explanatory on it. It's also kind of not nice because it's pretty bad, right? Whereas like the brewery side of things, you have brew pubs and you have all these different little cutouts for it. We just don't have for the distillery. So when we're starting this up, they're looking at us even though we're really small. They look at us as the same as a giant distillery going in somewhere. 
where the brewery side of things don't have that they have cutouts for the smaller guys. Um, so yeah, that was. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I got lost there. What was the? <laughs> no, I was just curious about the, the red tape. Like yeah, the red tape. So yeah, there's there's a lot. So we have. Um, the state, well, first off, you have to start with the federal government. You have to have a distillery permit through them, basic manufacturer's permits. Um, that just takes a long time to get done. And um, some of the regulations and stuff on that is pretty bizarre. Um, but ultimately, it seems like it's just bureaucrats checking the box and wants to check through good. Um, then you have to move into the states and you have to get a distillery permit through the states. And then you also have to do any municipality stuff. Now, we have a pretty strict municipality here, as you can see from looking outside, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, no, fortunately, being in, in a rural area like this, we don't have much as far yeah. as municipal um, laws and stuff on it, county zoning, things like that. Um, but uh, obviously, if we do anything stupid here and this place goes up in flames, there's nobody else <laughs> yeah, nobody's right. getting hurt. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And of course, in order to, once you have the everything set up, you need a still to produce a spirit. Mm -hmm. What kind of still are you using here? And Justin's talked to me about different styles, and it's just sales right over the top of my head. Yeah, um, so we have a, what kind of styles were you? What's that? What kind of styles were you, uh, questions about on it? Oh, no, not so much questions, just I mean, we were kind of just getting into what, what you have going on, and then, you know, why the decisions to run. I mean, there's two different types back there running mm -hmm. right now, so you had a column and then a pot still. Yep. And then obviously one can be run continuously, one can be run in more of just the batch. Yep. So it's just kind of the decisions behind that, you know, like, are you running it continuously? I know you were talking about having like a two-day process for the for the yeah. column. So I mean, I guess is it more of a they both put it out, or is one for like refining more than the other? You're using. I mean, everyone's doing things differently, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, a lot of this goes back to when we first started it, right? Um, we started out not in this facility that we're in right now. We started on a much smaller building right on the farm. Biggest reason for that is I never had made alcohol prior to doing this. Right? It's not my background whatsoever. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but I figured, you know, people have been doing it for a long time, I should be able to figure it out, right? And uh, so when we started in the other building, there was another barn that we had renovated. Um, the downstairs of the distillery, the upstairs of the tasting room, and it was small. Like, really, really small. <laughs> Looking back now, I walk in there sometimes and I go, holy shit, how do we do this in here? <laughs> I think that was when I first came up. Was it? When we were sitting in there, wasn't it? No, that we were just sitting over here. Oh, we were. Yeah, oh, no, yeah. I'm thinking it was something different. Yeah, so, um, so that dictated a lot of how we started this. So I was able to get a, a small... A small reflux column for our vodka, um, but the problem was is we were doing grain in fermentation, so I had um, we had the grain, so I couldn't just use a direct heat source on it like most of the most of the small steels are. And if I did, it'd scorch it, right? And I did that, and it does not taste good. Um, so that was some of the trial and error. So instead of that, you know, we had the option of going out and buying a still, but we really couldn't fit anything that was out there in the facility that we had. So. We actually had a, uh, a manufacturer in Spooner here, um, just a, a metal manufacturer, um, produce, make a still for us. So we kind of drew up some designs and kind of a double boiler jacket with that. And um, that's what we used for that. But by doing that, we had a reflux column to refine our, our alcohol. And then I also had a pot still, if you call what we had as pot still. It was kind of a Frankenstein pot still. <laughs> um, but uh, that's what we used to strip the alcohol out. And so because of that, Doing that two still system, it worked. It produced a good quality spirit that we that people seemed to like. They were buying it. So, um, I enjoyed drinking it, and uh, so from there, when we moved into our new facility here, we were able to scale up and get bigger equipment. We wanted to keep as, as similar as a um, taste as we could and uh, process as we could. So that's why we ended up with the two still stills. So we have the the pot still for stripping out the alcohol, and then the reflux column for um, for refining. Them. Okay. Yep. And is that the same still that you're using here now, or if you 
Yeah, that was okay. the one you saw. Um, well, no, no, different stills, right? Sure. From what we started out with, definitely. And yeah, those stills were very small. And uh, so, but yeah, the pot still here, that's what we use for stripping it out. And, then, uh, yeah. and did you have these manufactured? To, to specs that you wanted or did you end up going out just buying new or even yeah so they were there? they were we worked with the company that made them to to make those how we wanted it and to fit in the space that we have it was a company out in Kentucky that did that um, those were actually the biggest stills that they had ever produced um, they were used to making some of the smaller stuff and uh, but yeah so actually when we went and picked those stills up we got our steam boiler at the same time and I had to save some money, I took the whole trip on our own with a flatbed trailer. <laughs> we had that trailer just absolutely loaded down with, uh, we'll I mean, it was coming about four feet off the back end of a 50 foot. Potholes uh, are your enemy. <laughs> yeah, it was. And I was taking back roads because of the, some of the cops, you know, I was like, if we're going to drive down the highway like this, I don't want to get pulled over. Right. So we went from Peoria, Illinois, all the way back here. Jesus. <laughs> with Jesus. Um, so obviously you said that's kind of a, a different setup than what you initially started with, mm-hmm. um, much larger. Yeah. Um, so with that, I mean, obviously trying to recreate that flavor, did you guys kind of recreate like your dents and your dings and things like that? Cause obviously that shape very much affects how things taste. Was that something you guys had to kind of play with or was it more yeah. just like, well, it's similar. I mean, our, our stripping still we had at the, the old distiller was way different and I can't, it's hard to even explain what it was. It was more of a square, <laughs> um, than what we have here. So that, we couldn't really replicate that. The column still was basically the same as what we had down there, um, just bigger. And that's basically how we had it made is take that same small skill and just still make it just bigger. And uh, it was pretty surprising. Our, our flavor profile and our, our vodka seemed relatively the same once we got over here. Um, but yeah, so not much changed on that. So I was, I was happy about that because it was a huge concern of mine when we were scaling up is how do we keep that, you know, what people are buying and people like, how do we keep that same flavor? So, yeah, you. I mean, it's like there's a couple local places around more towards the Twin Cities where I'm at. Mm-hmm. It's like they first come out and they hit the market like, yeah, come try this. Or their rep comes in or they come in and you're like, hey, you could take the lacquer off your floor with that. <laughs> but then a couple years later, they come in and they know a different guy and he's like, hey, try this out. And you're like, oh, you again. Yeah. Sure. We'll try. Oh, what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a good reason for that, right? Because whatever they were making before, it tasted like, yeah, polish uh-huh. remover. Yeah. <laughs> they had to change something. So that's right? why it's nice seeing, like, you guys do a great product. And when you said, you know, we want to keep it consistent, yep. that's that's the goal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and consistency, especially in our vodka. You know, if you buy a bottle now, I want it to taste exactly the same as when you buy a bottle, you know, years from now. And one of the ways that we can um, do that here is, is we use relatively small batches. But I'll combine, when I bottle, I'll combine 30 or 40 batches worth of, of product by the time I actually go and bottle that. So we'll bottle about 2,000 bottles at a time. Um, but by doing that, we get the law of averages and everything turns out like super consistently because of that, so. How do you how do you work through the, if you will, the terroir of each crop? You know, again, being on the brewer side, consistency is key. Right. And you get, even from the small local breweries up to the major companies, mm-hmm. you, which as much as I don't like them, uh, Budweiser, their consistency. You can grab a crowd frozen Budweiser at their R and D plant from thirty years ago. It's gonna taste the same yeah. as you, something you just buy off the shelf today. Yeah. So I mean, do you have to play around with that at all on your side? Um, not necessarily. So I try to keep every variable exactly the same, right? And that's one of the consistency deals. However, because we grow everything here, and um, because we have a definite change in years um, and harvests that we do. We do mark that on the bottle, and there's a slight difference year to year, um, whether it's the uh, carbohydrate and protein content of the wheat that changes the taste on that, the, um, the uh, enzyme power on the barley, when we have that malted, um, will change a little bit year to year. 
Um, so to reflect that, to make sure it's not just arbitrary, we do mark the year it was harvested on the bottle, similar to like what wine does. Now we don't have near as big of a change as wine does in that, um, but it does change a little bit. And maybe I'm the only one that can notice it because I taste it every all the time, right? Um, but then generally people don't can't tell the difference. Sure. I'm curious. So when for me, I'm in sales and the product mm-hmm. I sell pretty much the same across the industry. It's just more of the service behind it. Yeah. Is that, would you say that's true when you're looking at equipment? You said you went through a company with Kentucky or were you shopping around and um, what were you looking for as a distiller for yeah. equipment that you want? Yeah, so so majority of our equipment in here, with the exception of the stills, is repurposed, right? Because we're still farmers at heart and um, rather than go out and buy brand new stuff, we're looking to reuse stuff. And so when we were back in that distillery, they're like our mash tank, right? It's actually an old milk pasteurizing tank. Um, And those are everywhere, right? But it does the same exact thing as a mash tank. So we're able to save a ton of money by doing that, make the same quality, same products with it, but it's just just repurposing equipment. The the fermenting tanks in their old milk bulk tanks, um, almost every farmer around here used to have one of those. They milk 30 or 40 cows, they store the milk in those tanks, and um, we don't really have those farms around anymore, so we use them for fermenting it. Um, now with our stills, looking around for that, our biggest thing on that was, um, it was the same company that made the smaller still we had, and so we were able to say, we want this exact same thing, just make it bigger. Um, so that was the biggest reason with them. Um, but if we do if we do purchase stills again, we'll probably go with a, a um, company that's been around a little longer um, to, to make sure we can get you know a really, really good product from that. So. You're getting what you're putting out, or excuse me, you get out what you're putting in. Mm-hmm. I mean, not everything in the world has is good because it's expensive, but yeah. in that world, the, the, the know-how is worth the Oh, the, the stills, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, there's some engineering in that. And these stills, um, like I said, are the biggest ones that this company, particular company, had ever made. And they uh, they work, right? But there's some little quirks on there that's like, <laughs> you know, if this was just engineered properly, we'd save a ton of time. You're, you're tweaking um, it as you go. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, we're obviously, like, we're sitting in your, your new room mm-hmm. um which is beautiful um, thank you the uh the garage doors honestly make it the uh, the light in this place is just awesome um obviously you guys have been doing tasting rooms it sounds like since your first location mm-hmm. was that something that kind of came about because hey we're making these products and we want to showcase them just here i mean obviously we're kind of well in the middle of nowhere kind we're, of we're um, in the middle of nowhere. absolutely but at the same time is it like was it like, hey, we want to showcase this because we're making it? Or did it, you know, hey, we should build this because people are getting their hands on our vodka and our spirits and really want to see more, us do more with it? Right. Did it kind of go one way or the other? So when we started this out, I thought we would just distribute it. Um, and that would be, that'd be it. You know, I figured we we're in the middle of nowhere. I mean, who's going to come out to a distillery out here? <laughs> we I <think> will. <laughs> I think there's 17,000 people in an entire Washburn County, right? right. So, um, yeah, there's just not many people here. Um then we started it up and we had a small tasting room up, up in the other distillery and I thought people maybe stop in, have a try the vodka, have a sip of it, buy a bottle and leave. And that'd be, you know, while I was there working, I'd take some time and if they came by, great. Well, it turned into more of people coming by and wanting cocktails and so we kind of, you know, changed it to that. Um, and then more people come by and wanted more cocktails, more cocktails and I was like, wait, we can actually make this work. So, um, so we do distribute, obviously, but um, that kind of because that was really popular, that's kind of why we we've done this with the distillery. Um, so it's just kind of dictated by what people are kind of a mix of both. Then you know, it's, mm-hmm. we we like what you have, but we'd like you to make us more things with it. But we also have it at home, and we'd like you to make us more things right, with exactly. it. Right, exactly. Either way, um, make me things. But the cool thing about here that we found is 
you know, we are in the middle of nowhere, but people, you know, we have a lot of cabins up here. You guys are both from the area. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have come from the cities and Chicago and Madison, Milwaukee. And we have a lot of bars up here, which is great. I like going to them. I'm sure you guys do too. Um, I but, think it's a requirement in Wisconsin. You need to have two bars and one church to be yes, in town. Exactly. <laughs> church and, is optional. Uh, <laughs> yeah, church is sometimes. Um, but when uh, we did this, we are like, we could really make something a little different from whatever else is up here. Um, you know, we don't necessarily consider ourselves a bar. We don't stay open late. We close at 7 as the latest we stay open to. Um, but it's something totally different from anything, anywhere else you can go up here, right? So you're going to get a nice martini or a nice cocktail. Um, the space is different from anywhere else you go. Um, and people seem seems to resonate with people. So that's where we tried to capitalize on that and, and keep doing that. And also we're on a farm, which a lot of these people coming up here have never been on a farm. And so it's kind of fun to be able to say there's just soybeans growing right out here. And they come back year after year and see the crop rotations and the different crops growing and, and um, been harvested. And they get to ask you about, you know, are they GMO or not GMO or organic versus no-till and everything else we're doing. So that's been really cool to be able to bring people um, that would have never, never, otherwise never had this experience to the farm and be able to talk to them about that and explain it to them and say, this is the stuff that's making what you're drinking here. So When you look at the, the atmosphere here too, I mean, obviously nobody can see it, we're recording, but I mean, <laughs> I can't even mentally figure out the acres that I'm looking at that's just open before you hit the wood line. I can think 130 acres. Yeah, that much. Um, so you can, I mean, you can only imagine. I mean, you sure you already know. Sitting on one of these little, you know, deck tables here with sitting for the cocktail as the sun goes down, it's mm-hmm. quiet. Yeah. Just, I mean, you can go to St. Paul and you can sit at a distillery, and you're sitting next to a highway mm-hmm. or next to a busy street or a bar or. Well, that's another thing. When we got this going, we started up. You know, we went around to a lot of breweries and distillers, and they, they all make some great stuff. I, you know, when my wife and I go on vacation or anything, we always go and check out different breweries and distilleries. A lot of times to see what they're doing right and also see what they're doing wrong, so we don't do that. Um, but it always struck me as odd because we'd go to wineries, and whenever you go to a winery, you'd go out to the vineyards, right? If you go to a nice wine place, you go to Napa Valley or to um, California or Oregon or, or wherever, you're not going into the middle of a city or an industrial park or a warehouse where we find a lot of these breweries and distilleries. So it always struck me as odd is where's that disconnect there? Why is it all right for these breweries to be so separated from the agriculture aspect of it, but for a winery that isn't, right? You never, you just so everybody else is shipping stuff in. Right. And so it's like, okay, how do we take a, how do we take a wine out of that winery book and a vineyard book and do it with the distillery? And so that's that's been a big part of how we ended up with a space like this and everything is, is doing that. So. You're doing it right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad office view to have everything. Yeah, right? No, I, I, I'm going to start coming up here to do my paperwork. There you go. I don't even have paperwork. <laughs> this place sits empty Monday through, Monday yeah. through uh, Thursday. So. <laughs> so you mentioned that you were looking at originally just getting it out into distribution. Did you have to go and find the distributors, make the sales pitch, or were they coming to you looking to work with you? Right, so when we first started out, so maybe three or four months after we opened, um, we had a um, sales rep from Bill's Distributing, which is an Anheuser-Busch distributor out of, um, out of uh, Menominee, Wisconsin, stopped by, had her stuff, picked up a bottle, and his wife was actually one of my professors in undergrad, <laughs> so she stopped by and she was like, what are you doing this for? And uh, so anyways, he brought that back and we got contacted by Bill's. They said they'd like to pick us up. They were looking to get into some of the craft spirits just because of how the craft breweries had gone. And they started seeing that the, um, the craft beer was getting a little saturated and isolated, or not isolated, saturated and starting to um, kind of level up. So they wanted to see where they could, they, where they could expand to. So 
they ended up picking us up as their first distilled spirits. Um, since then, they've expanded. They've got a big line of distilled spirits now and, um, and wines and other stuff like that. And we're still with Bill's. Um, they actually just took, they just went statewide, so we went with them statewide on everything. And uh, that was actually in February we started doing that. Right before COVID, so that was a that was a fun time to start expanding <laughs> <Right>. distribution. <laughs> Everyone was like, "No, we're not doing anything new." <laughs> so it's starting to pick up now, though. So it's uh, a little better. But yeah, so we got really fortunate on that. We didn't have to go around and sell it to anyone. Um, yeah. So I mean, did you? Was there anything you had in mind for a distributor that you want, like key sales points, or uh, you know, for me, I, like I said, I'm in sales and it's yeah. my job. I have to go out and find people that aren't buying from us and convince them that they should be friends with me too. Right. So if I'm if I'm looking to start my own distillery and I have five distributors mm-hmm. making a pitch, you know, what would you look for in someone? Yeah, you know, how do you how do you separate yourself out from everyone else is the biggest thing. Um, especially now, I mean, even since we've opened up five years, there's been a ton of distilleries that have gone into Wisconsin, um, Minnesota, and everywhere else. Um, so it's really tough now because there's just so much out there. Um, but the biggest thing is what, what makes you different or unique or what's your story because half of what you're selling is the story anyways. And we're really fortunate here. We didn't have to come up with a story. Um, this, it's just what we're doing. You know, we're a farm. We've been, been in farming forever and we want to take those grains and make them into something. So, um, but yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. wish I'd have known that it was you guys making it before. When I first came out here, I realized that a bar that I used to work at carried the Yeoman Vodka. Oh, yeah. And I was like... He's like, oh, we're going to go out to Perlick. I was like, we're going to go where? <laughs> and I looked at the bottle and went, you. Because yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen it in years yeah. at that point. I was like, what is going on? But no, you guys do have, have a, a really unique kind of origin story to it. Um, and I only know of like one or two other distilleries in one well, state even that have a similar thing going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not even similar. It's just, it isn't like, well, we wanted to start a business. So we decided to ship in grains from California and this. Yeah. It's like, hey, we did a family thing and, and then made it into this really cool, you know, adventure that we're kind of taking on day by yeah. day. And I'm sure there's challenges with that itself anyway. So, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's definitely, you know, it's great. We have the story. On the other hand, we are the first, um, the first distillery in Wisconsin. That's not on a city sewage system, right? <laughs> in the entire state. And the DNR and the uh, states did not have a, they were not happy about that. (laughs) (laughs) So we had to work with them. You know, so it's cool doing this, but it um, creates a lot of other barriers as well. Um, You know, something as simple as what do you do with your waste? Um, If you can't just dump it down the drain and have it go into the rest of the city Mm -hmm. sewer system. So that's fair. And you're talking about your mash. Mm -hmm. You have neighbors, they do pig farm. Yep. So you just bring that over them to recycle yeah they uh they bring a trailer with some totes on it every day and i fill those up and they bring them back and swap them out so that works really well because we don't have to worry about that waste at all so i I got used to that when i worked at pitchfork brewing yeah they recycled all their mash okay uh, whether it was for grain for cattle or is going to be turned into fertilizer for Mm -hmm. the farmers that they were working with yeah that was their big thing they wanted to be green without you know announcing the world that they're a green brewery or anything like that and that's kind of the nice thing about being out here too is like we can be you know green or ecologically friendly but it's not necessarily because we're trying to it's just because it makes sense um, it almost always makes sense at least a little yeah. at least an effort towards it right um, on the note of kind of like obviously talking about what goes into it we discussed a little bit on that um, I sat down when we were setting all this up kind of and like really dug into what I can taste in your vodkas mm-hmm. and it's really unique as far as what's on the market um, 
most vodkas now, any kind of a you know neutral grain spirit is exactly that. It's very neutral. Mm-hmm. The whole idea is you get every bit of acid and you know any kind of solids in there out. We want it clean. It just should taste like grain alcohol, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Whereas what you guys have is almost akin to the old world style vodkas, where you're really showcasing the ingredients, and you don't see that a lot in vodka. You mm-hmm. see it more in whiskey and rum, and sometimes in brandy. Um, so I guess setting that up in your process was that more. A conscious effort where you were like constantly tasting and tweaking to what you wanted or was it kind of like it fell into place organically um yeah so it kind of fell into place but i still tweak with it all the time right um so problem is is because we want to keep that consistency and i only want to change one variable at a time it takes four months five months six oh. months by the time i actually will start messing around with something until i finally have a result of what it did um you know i try to get it as clean as possible um, as far as as far as drinking, we want it to be a nice, clean spirits. But yeah, there is some some flavors that come through with that, um, and a big part of that is two things: one, the grain we're using, and we couldn't dictate that because we grow everything that goes into it, right? So it wasn't like, oh, I want to change my grain or change my source because we couldn't. Um, now, along with that, the second big thing is our water that we use, right? So we can distill this all out. Um, and then we proof it back down because with vodka we're still into 95% alcohol. That's what we're starting out with. Then we need to bring that back down to 40% or 80 proof, and we do that just by adding water. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use our own water here for that, just well water. I don't, um, I don't do anything with it, right? Just well water out of the ground, proofs it down, um, and then I filter it. So just do some simple activated carbon filters. So a lot of that water, the flavor from that water, is coming through as well, and that changes it, interacts mm-hmm. with the alcohol, um, and gives us some different flavors that way too. Fair enough. Yeah, that's. Kind of like a light kind of malic acid citrusy thing going on it and i absolutely love that because yeah. you don't see that in, unless, in vodkas unless they're adding citrus to it right and right. so to have that in there naturally i was like oh buying all the bottles before i go back home <laughs> and i've always since coming here i've been curious as to what you're doing different because in my early college days i was pretty much strictly captain morgan and occasional jameson wrote beer off entirely until yeah. i got dragged to a brewery and it was like witchcraft happened and then now i'm like <laughs> craft beer schnapp yeah anti-vodka for since well, last year and it because it doesn't have that weird say grainy aftertaste i found with a lot of other vodkas mm-hmm. is that is that intentional on your part just to yeah we really want to make sure there's no no aftertaste with it right or if there's an aftertaste have it like a, a good aftertaste obviously big part of that is where we make our cuts <clears throat> we're making the alcohol um we're making the vodka and by cuts, I mean separating out basically the compounds I want for our vodka versus what I don't want. And I'm super inefficient at producing this alcohol, right? <laughs> like, it's really ridiculous. The plus side of that is I can get some really good compounds out of that, right? And only, again, only the compounds I want for that. So that makes a huge difference. If we get too far into our tails, we'll get some odors to it. We'll get some, uh, some off flavors on it. And by tails, I mean those compounds that volatilize or boil at the highest temperature. Um, if we get into our heads too much or the stuff that comes off at the lowest temperature, comes off the still first, that's going to make it a little more bitey and again add some smell and some weird flavors to it as well. So I'm really focused along with all the other variables, right? There's a thousand variables, every one of them changes the taste of it, but that's the one where I found really makes the biggest difference on, one of the biggest difference on that, that mouthfeel and the burn and the, the aftertaste on it. So. And I have some experience on the, the brewing side of things, I did some homebrew a little bit. Mm-hmm. I understand how that works, but you and I understand, you know, you have a mash and you ferment the, the wort down. 
but what's the what's the distilling process look like from there? Right, so we're just taking one one step further, right? So we're taking all the nasty stuff from the beer and getting ready rid of it, right? <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I like beer, but yeah, when people come in, they say, "Oh, I only drink beer." I say, uh, "Well, think about this: or we're just taking everything that's good from that beer and just condensing it, right? Um, we're spacing the alcohol, right? So, and we can make vodka out of beer, we can make vodka out of wine. You know, the definition of alcohol is any alcohol distilled to ninety five percent. So it doesn't matter what it is. Um, but yeah, it's just basically because those alcohol compounds um, will boil at a lower temperature than the grain, if you heat that up, that's what's coming out first. And so that's the difference in it, is we're making beer for the most part, and then just distilling off or boiling off that alcohol we want and separating those compounds out into what we want. Yeah, so. And there's hundreds, if not thousands, of popular yeast strains in the brewing house. Mm-hmm. Do you do you grow your own generations, or I know there's breweries they might use one, two, three generations, and then they buy a new batch yeah. and cultivate that home. No, you know when we when we start this out, I tried a whole bunch of different yeast strains, right? So I think I was talking to you guys about this earlier, but when we before I came back home to start the distillery, I had gone to law school, graduated law school, and, and I was actually starting the distillery while in law school. Then I drive from St. Paul back to here. I think I had class like. Monday through Thursday, and I drive back here Thursday night, head <laughs> back Sunday or Monday morning. It was a mess. My last semester of law school, I almost failed the class um, because of that. But I think I bribed the teacher with some vodka when I was done and said, hey, this is actually what I've been working on. I'm not even practice law. Um, but anyways, where I'm going with this is I, I clerked for some judges. I won't say where, right? But I clerked for some judges, and we were starting out the test batches on this all. So I had a bunch of different strains of yeast that I had done up. Made a bunch of different alcohols with their vodkas with it. And I said, hey, judges, you, uh, you guys judge stuff. Do you want to come judge this? <laughs> so we brought them over and, and sat them down and, and uh, all right, try these different vodkas and tell us which one you like best. And it turned out it was one of the, I don't want to say cheapest strain, but it was one of the most common strains of yeast that um, they like best. So that's what we went with. And so we don't, we don't get like wet yeast or anything. It's all dried distiller's yeast. Um, and uh, then we just, just make that into a slurry, and that's what we ferment with. And I don't, I don't reuse it at all, just because I want that consistency in it. So. Oh, that kills my next question. <laughs> um, I was going to ask if you did anything kind of like how whiskey does sour mash, where they're using that, you know, kind of a little bit back into the new one, just to kind of teach it what it needs to do. But right. if you're starting fresh every yeah, time, that answers that question. Yeah. And once everything's fermented, mm-hmm. distilled. Do you bottle immediately, or are you letting that spirit sit for a while? So for a vodka, we don't. We, we can bottle that vodka immediately, right? Like I said, I'll combine a whole bunch of batches. So it could be months of, uh, of um, alcohol sitting in tanks before it'll actually get put in a bottle. Now with our whiskey, and we are coming out with whiskey, that's going to be ready in about three more years. We're letting that age for five years. Um, that obviously has to age, and we just set five years for our stuff. So. I'm curious, you, you mentioned, you know, small. It's just you working back there. Mm-hmm. With the expansion going statewide and the distribution, have you felt the pressure on on you to, oh crap, now I have to start ramping up my production? Um, You know, I basically run production every single day. (laughs) So, you know, I'm I'm out here making stuff regardless. And that's kind of where it's nice with the the whiskey. When we started this out, we just didn't have the capacity to do whiskey. Um, You know, everything we were making was was being sold, which was great. And we're really fortunate to have that. We moved over to this new facility. We're able to produce a lot more, a lot faster. And so we finally got caught up on our inventory. And I don't know why I keep saying we. I finally got caught up on my inventory. <laughs> um, I say we because there's a lot more people involved in this place. You know, like I was talking about, my dad stopped by earlier, mm-hmm. um, my wife, obviously, um, uh, my stepmom. So I mean, there's all kinds of people that are involved with this indirectly. Um, so if I say we, that's what I'm talking about. 
Um, but you know, I had a good inventory made up, uh, and we were finally able to get going into that whiskey and giving that a try. So now it's kind of neat. So it's, for example, right with this COVID shutdown, um, we were shut down for two months, just like every other bar up here. Um, and we didn't see, like I said, we just went statewide with our spirits, and so we didn't see a huge bump in our sales, our spirit sales, um, because of that. Um, but anyways, I had two months where I got a really good inventory of vodka made up and I was able to take any excess capacity and go into whiskey. So if our distributors start selling a lot more vodka, great, we just won't make as much whiskey. Yeah. And, you know, I forgot my question. Anyway, I'll come back to that. See, so they're written down. Hey, right, no, I have like this thing. Oh, uh, so you, you have other people that help you out here. Have you thought about bringing in an assistant to help you out on the back side of the house? Um, yeah, we have in the past. We've actually tried to share some, some employees with the farm over here. Um, I had one guy that was all trained up, spent a lot of time training them, and then he took a job with um, really good benefits at a, manu- or a um, construction company. And I couldn't blame him for doing it, right. but uh, on the other hand, it was a little disappointing because I just spent too much training them and some stuff. But um, as far as right now, I haven't. A big reason for that is I kind of like working alone. <laughs> so <laughs> if there's somebody else here, there's, there's somebody else here, and I can't just work alone. So until we get a bigger facility, and that's our next expansion. So obviously, we're sitting in the uh, expanded tasting room here. That was last summer. Probably next summer, the end of next summer, we're planning on doing an expansion in our production area. When we do that, we just have a little more room, then we'll probably look at bringing somebody else on that. And the name, your vodka is named American Yeoman. How did you come up with the name and why not just call it Perlix Vodka? Right, so when we started this up, I thought nobody cares about the distillery that makes the product, right? Um, you guys mentioned, uh, well you mentioned Captain Morgan, right? Mm-hmm. You drank that in, in undergrad. And who distills Captain Morgan? Right? I thought some guy, some pirate down there. Yeah, right? <laughs> um, or say Jameson or yeah. Grey Goose, right? Nobody knows the actual distillery that makes this, the brand. And so I figured we'd have Perlick Distillery, and then we'd have a bunch of brands with what we were making. Nobody would really care about the distillery. But that kind of got flipped on its head, um, definitely over the years. And so we started out with our brand, which was Yeoman Vodka. And originally I wanted to call it Farmer's Vodka, because we're farmers making vodka. And just about everybody I talked to um, said that was a horrible marketing idea, and they would never buy a Farmer's Vodka. I'm not disagreeing with them. (laughs) And I kind of agree with them too. I'm like, okay, I really want to take that same farming thing and still get it into the vodka, into the name. And so I started looking up synonyms for farmer and came up with the term yeoman. And have you guys ever heard that term before, yeoman? Not Outside before, of this context? No, yeah, not before seeing mm-hmm. the bottles. No. So it's kind of an extinct definition of what we're using. There's three main definitions for it. We get asked this quite a bit with people coming in here. Um, probably the most prominent definition right now is, uh, outside of it obviously being a vodka, is um, a naval term, right, a position in the, in the Navy. Not the definition we're going for at all, right? I was in the Air Force, I was not in the Navy. Um, <clears throat> there's another definition of it that actually goes back to um, English, right? In England, the yeoman was a class of people that were kind of um, free landowners, or, or I forget the exact definition, but they didn't owe anybody, owe anything to anybody, and they weren't servants, right? Um, then in the United States, that kind of transitioned, that idea kind of transitioned to, to yeoman in the United States, and they were, um, a farmer that owned and cultivated, a, a small farmer that owned and cultivated their own land. And that was really, turned, you know, with the revolution um, in the United States, that was a really unique and novel concept because in Europe you couldn't own your own land. There was no property rights because you didn't, the monarchs owned everything. No matter if you owned it, the monarch could still come in and say, nope, this is my property and take it from you. Um, so in the United States, those yeomans were farmers that owned and cultivated their own land and kind of embodied the self-sufficient, um, you know, entrepreneurial spirits of, of farmers, and they were considered the yeoman. So that's where we got the name from. Um, 
so I still snuck farmer in there and just classed it up a little bit <laughs> and uh, made it a yeoman. Oh, it, so. sounds, it sounds, uh, you did the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> it, uh, I'm just trying to imagine working behind a bar and someone's like, let me get a farmer vodka and Coke. You want a what? It's <laughs> yeah, <right? laughs> like a bigger cup? I don't know what you make here. <laughs> And I'm just curious, on the, the whiskey side, I mean, that's become my new love in the last few years. You're so welcome. you said about three years until you're releasing that. Yeah. yeah. And did you have any challenges, you know, changing gears, going from a vodka, which, like you mentioned, Justin, is a very neutral spirit, to, mm-hmm. to over to the whiskey? Not necessarily. A big reason for that is because we have the pot still and the stripping still, um, we're able to just run the whiskey through the pot still. And so we didn't have to change any equipments or anything like that. So I had to get a couple extra tanks for storage and things like that. Um, one of the biggest hurdles we had for that is we were trying to make our, have our own wood for our own barrels. Um, we figured we're growing everything that goes into this, we're making everything here. Um, let's try to get the wood for the barrels from here too. So we harvested a bunch of wood, white oak from the farm here in the surrounding area. Um, I found a guy in Indiana that made the barrels for us, made a bunch of barrels for us. So the problem is, That's if I go into... Probably the nearest Cooper, really, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some, there's some in Minnesota, and there's some around, but it'd be, <clears throat> it'd be like if somebody came into my distillery here and said, hey, I've got 10 pounds of wheat. Can you make me one bottle of vodka? I'd say, no. <laughs> there's no way, right? <clears throat> we don't have... We just can't separate that out. The same thing if I brought, you know, a semi-load of wood to a cooperage and said, hey, can you make my own barrels out of this? It just doesn't work out in the production. So... I found a one one man shop down in Indiana that would um, would take it and work with us on it and make the barrels for us. And so that's been kind of cool. We've been making that. I think he's done like thirty barrels for us so far. Um, but fortunately, he was older and he finally said enough's enough and got out of the business. So we started working with a company over in um, in uh, St. Cloud. And so right now we're just buying barrels directly from them, but we're still in the works of actually getting enough um, wood over to them so they can make it all of our own, own wood again. So. You know, but yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Oh, and another thing with it is we wanted to we wanted to use our own barley as barley as well, and we do this with our vodkas too. So you can make vodka, you can make any spirits up using like just liquid enzymes for that, or you can malt barley and get enzymes out of your malted barley. And we wanted to use our own barley for that, not use liquid enzymes or anything. So that was a, a hurdle doing that as well, because we had to find a place to malt it for us. So there's not really any small malt houses around, and there's a lot of people that come up and ask, so they want to start a brewery, distillery. I tell them really consider starting a small malt house because it'd be really cool if we could get you know malt houses around here. Unfortunately, nobody has. Um, so we bring it down to Bree Malt House in Chilton, Wisconsin. Fortunately, with the farm, we can load up uh, an entire semi load with barley, bring it down there. That's their um, that's the capacity as they do a semi loaded batch, and so they'll malt a semi load for that for us, and then we'll bring it all back up here. Um, so we had to get that malted a little differently. We couldn't just use the same malt we used for our vodka. Um, so we just had it done into just a, a pale brewer's malt for our single malt whiskey, and that's what we're making is a single malt or a straight malt whiskey for that. I've been down to Kentucky where we went out to their barrel house, and they it's just all open air. Mm-hmm. And there's, I can't think of the, the guy that's in charge of that, but he's constantly keeping an eye on the different barrels, rotating them at different yeah. heights, different temperatures. Have you worried about that, or are you just letting them age in the barrels and yep, we're just letting them age. Um, so unlike uh, unlike our vodka, right? My vodka, I want consistency. My whiskey, I'm not as concerned about because um, we're doing a single barrel, um, and so it changes with the where it's at in the in the rack house. It changes with the seasons every year. We don't climate control it, so 
it goes from, you know, it was at last week, 100 degrees out here and humid to 30 below in the winter. And uh, we can't control that. We're not going to try to. I think it can hopefully add some flavor and add some uh, uniqueness to our whiskey. So, yeah, it's just single barrel. Once it goes on the rack, it sits there. I don't touch it until we're ready to take it out. So, and if you can create some unique labels or a little collectible, like a horse, like it's another brand out there. Yeah. I know about 30 guys I'd be knocking on, <laughs> knocking on the door to grab it from yeah. <laughs> Um With your barrels, um, obviously you said local oak here, what you guys had. Are you doing toasting and charring as well? Or are you, you know, kind of playing with that in a different way? Because obviously being... You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to even peek into what the, the secret family recipe for the whiskey is because I'm excited to come up and try it when it's ready. <laughs> it's um, easy. I always tell people, and they, they ask us a recipe, and I tell it to them. And I say, if you want to go through all the work to do it, go for it. <laughs> I just don't want to spoil the surprise for people who are going to come oh, up yeah. and do it. You know, come, come taste it. Yeah, come yeah. come have it. Um, but obviously, toast level, we're getting that sucrose in there caramelized, and then mm-hmm. the char level for your filtration. I mean, was that something you guys played with as well, or was that just kind of a... We're going to do it like this and have fire away. Yeah, we just did number three char, and that's there okay. wasn't anything, nothing, nothing special about that of it. Yeah, we just wanted enough there so we get the colors, and obviously, like you said, so it dissolves some of those um, compounds from the wood and, and mixes with those. But Yeah. I'm curious on the business side of that. I know in Kentucky, the bourbon distillers and whiskey distillers, they have to pay monthly mm-hmm. on the barrels. Do you have, and it makes that a, you know, a huge financial burden for a new company trying to start up down right. there. Did you have to worry about that here in Wisconsin, or we? Well, I know we're waxed on just about every other law involving alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Wisconsin's uh, we get audited. Yeah, I think I've been audited twice by the state on the excise taxes. That's where it all comes down to. The regulations, excise tax. This last time, they owed me money back, fifty dollars. So I was got them cool. um, good. Yeah, I just messed up, and I paid them too much. So I guess that was a bad deal. Didn't get them um, as much as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, basically, they say the best way to do it is once it goes into a bottle is when you, you mark it down as, as paying taxes on it. it. Just makes it the simplest and cleanest. Um, now, with the federal government, we have to report basically what we have in storage and everything, and that's monthly. Um, but otherwise, with the states, yeah, again, you have to. Report and pay your taxes monthly on that excess taxes on that. So, and curious, uh, you know, owning your own business and owning a distillery. I mean, what's been some of the biggest challenges that you've found that you've had to work through over the last five years, and what have been some of the biggest rewards for you? Yeah, so just the uh, you know the regulations. I like we were talking about earlier. Those are always a pain. Um, you know, you think you finally got them all down. Nothing else is going to come up, and something else comes up, and it's like, well, what the hell? <laughs> now I have to now I have to spend another. X amount of dollars to meet this regulation. Regulation. Um, that's been some of the challenging stuff. But again, once you once you get going on it, and looking back now, it looks like it's not. You know, it's nothing big at the time. It seems big. Um, probably the biggest problem we've had is distribution. Right? It's tough. I mean, you're you're a bartender, and uh, it's tough to get in there and get you as a bartender or a uh, liquor store owner or a uh, sales clerk at a liquor store to introduce our product to to um, customers because mm-hmm. right now we've never spent a dime on advertising and the reason for that you guys said you all grew up in the area mm-hmm. yep. right you listen to the radio growing up mm-hmm. yeah, unfortunately we didn't have uh, um, our cell phones didn't play it we didn't have satellite and right. so just all over the internet over the radio I think that drove me nuts is all the commercials right and growing up on the farm I was in a tractor a lot and it was the same commercials over and over and over again I won't say any names but there's a car company in the area if I ever buy a car from them I'm going to add up all the hours I think that I've, I've listened to them their commercials and I'm going to say the only way I'm buying a car from you is 
that bill. I'm 20 bucks an hour for the amount of time I've wasted. <laughs> well, so it's that or there's a uh, jewelry company in uh, the Twin Cities. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I need four in Hopkins Drive. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stop. So <laughs> you tell someone's from there. Right. <laughs> yep. um, so no, when, when we set this up, I was like, you know what? We're just not going to advertise. Um, we're going to just make the best product we can. Um, hopefully word of mouth spreads that. We can get people a really great experience when they come here and hopefully they, they can tell our story. Um, so with that, the problem we have with that is we get into a liquor store and we don't have the big flashy signs. We don't have the radio ads. We don't have the, um, you know, we don't have the girls and girls out there pouring drinks or guys <laughs> out there pouring drinks everywhere. And, we could put Justin and, uh, a crop top for yeah, <laughs> I got one with your logo on it. You remember that. You be careful. And uh, so that made, that's made it a little more difficult. Um, on the other hand, we have some very, very loyal customers that when they find that it's in a store, they tell their friends about it and family about it and they go in and buy it and they, they are, again, pretty loyal about it. So it's just a, a very slow crawl doing that. And expand bars too. Once we get a bartender, a good bartender in there or bar owner that likes it and knows it, they tell their customers and it's, you can see these spikes and these random bars and all of a sudden they'll start selling a ton of it and they'll stay that way. Um, but so it's just a slow go at the distribution thing. Well, it's on, at least on the end of mine where, you know, I've never sold a spirit to a company. I've, mm-hmm. I've sold it to a guest. Um, having being the guy that fields reps and stuff like that yeah at least personally and maybe if anyone's listening and they can work with this i would much rather speak to you know someone who's coming directly from the distillery or the mm-hmm. brewery and not everybody can do that right like, they don't always have the time but that just speaks so much more like there's breweries that'll come in and you get to know you know this is nick he's a rep for so and so and he's just them he knows the product he's passionate about it he wants it to work yeah Whereas you get the guy that works for and nothing against him, like Bills. Yeah. And like I said, worked in the in the state forever, love him. Yeah. But it's like you come in and you've got, okay, I've got Miller, I've got Coors, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. You're a blanket company for yeah. it. And in that it feels, you know, it becomes less about what you're selling and it feels more like just the monetary side of it. Yeah. And so that's where it's been nice with Bills is because they finally branched off from, from that uh, Anheuser-Busch into a, like their own spirit division where, I don't want to say it's a separate company, but it almost a company with that so we get a lot more contact and the one thing I like about that is as I have um, direct lines to the sales reps that are in different parts of the state so if I get um, you know say you're a bartender that comes in here or, or a um, liquor store that comes in here from Madison say hey I really want I really want to carry this I can say well here's here's the name and phone number of the rep that comes by your place give him a call and he'll be there next week um, so that's helped out a bunch and you know they've all been up here before they know the place they know me um, so that, that's been really nice. But yeah, there's, and we've been with some other distributors throughout the years that um, it's that way, right? You get thrown in with this giant list of stuff and there's well, just no way you're. And they've got through. so much on their plate and it's nothing yeah. against them, but a lot of guys phone it in. Yeah. They walk in, need anything? No. No? Okay, bye. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, what, what's, <laughs> what's, what's new? What can I taste? Like, yeah. tell me about the cool stuff right now. Yeah. But no, you guys definitely do it in a weird way. And I say that nicely. Like, I, that came out weird. Um, but like not advertising and having success you have and, and yeah. being able to build this way is, is super awesome. And I'm glad to see you guys are doing well yeah, with it. Thanks. We, uh, yeah, and like you said, it's a little slower. Um, a little slower growth with it, especially, well, at least distribution-wise. Here in the taste room, it's been crazy, um, the growth over the years. But, um, but distribution, it just it takes some time, but it keeps going. So. And on the, being a, you know, a liquor store, I used to work in one for a few years. and. I got lucky because the owner and manager would t- take me to the tasting events with the distributors mm-hmm. and they would walk me through because I really liked rum at the time and whiskey. The manager really liked beer and the owner was really into te- tequila and wine. Yeah. And so that we'd kind of walk ourselves through what brands we liked and why. And 
to this day, I can't taste the difference with tequila. But yeah. <laughs> that's because you, like, you drink a liter of it at a time and then expect to taste it. it. <laughs> it's different. Right. Be a problem. Yeah. I mean, but I'm yeah, the, the sure, their vodka would be the same way. Yeah. The average liquor store employee is not going to have that opportunity, and then right. they, you have fifty vodkas on there. And if they're young twenties and in college, oh yeah, I really like Kharkov because yeah. it's cheap. It's cheap yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing too is you can either fight, you can either get. Bought because of price, or you can get bought because of quality. You know, like I can't compete with Kharkov on price by any means. Um, but hopefully, I, hopefully, I can compete with them on quality. But it's just the fact that getting somebody to take that off the shelf, try it, enjoy liking it. Because rarely do we have somebody buy it that doesn't doesn't like it. Um, and then usually we have them as a customer for a long time. So that's what's nice about the tasting room is when they come in here, I give them a sample of it, just the vodka on its own, chilled before anything. And kind of sets the tone for them. And, it worked on uh, us. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Here we are. You say you haven't done the traditional advertising. Have you used social media at all to try to? So we have a Facebook. We have a Facebook account. Um, I've never paid for an ad on Facebook ever. Refused to. Um, the only thing we ever post on there is when we change our menus. We have a seasonal menu here in the tasting room, and I'll post when that changes um, or any like you know really relevant stuff. Like we're closing down for COVID nineteen, right? So. Um, people don't come here thinking we're open still for whatever reason. I don't know how they could have, but um, or for like say the sunflower maze when that blooms because it's it's kind of random times when it blooms. So we'll put that out on Facebook just to inform people. But other than that, we don't have a, a big social media presence by any means. Sure. And curious, you know, for people listening, if they want to come check you out, if they're in the area in, in Northwoods, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. where can they find you? Um, yeah, we're at uh, W five one five zero County Highway B, um, Serona, Wisconsin. Yeah, so or just type in Pro Distillery on Google because sometimes the address takes you all kinds of crazy places. <laughs> just, yeah. middle of nowhere. just keep looping the podcast till you get back to him listen, listening off the address again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I missed it another hour. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if there's anybody listening that maybe they're looking at going into working for a distillery or opening up their own, mm-hmm. is there any advice you'd offer them? Yeah, just, um, just, uh, it's a lot of work, you know, and you have to just be really persistent with it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. It's just persistence. And I don't know if it's being smart or stubborn or a little bit of both. I think you need it all. So, um, but yeah, I'd say anybody that's interested in getting one, invite you up, invite you up here to uh, check our place out. Be happy to work with you on, on anything you need. And, um, yeah, it's fun. It's a fun business to get into. Any sure. regrets, you know, not utilizing that law degree? And- no, not really. I just had some, some friends of mine that were up this weekend from St. Paul and they practice law and they go, oh, this sucks. We just sit in a chair all day long and read briefs. That sounded like you went pretty well with uh, jumping through your red tape, as you said. Just like, yeah, I have a law degree up. and I'm opening a business. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks again, Scott, for taking yeah. the time out. No, I appreciate you guys. Uh, sit down with us. And yeah. we'll, we'll uh, have to do a part two. It would be fun to get everybody else involved on the yeah. behind the scenes here and and we'll let you get out of here and go enjoy the rest of your birthday since yeah. you're working late. So. Yeah. It's his birthday. Everyone go on the Perla uh, Facebook and wish him a happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time. Thanks again, everyone, for tuning into Rules of the Arena. Gordon, before you go on, I have a bit of a grievance. <laughs> that I'm in your studio? No, no, no. Actually, this is worse than that. That's just a normal grievance. <laughs> this one, you guys went and you talked to a distiller. And I wasn't invited. Well, you were. Granted, it was last year when we first met Scott, but... Yeah, that wasn't this past weekend. (laughs) (laughs) 
everyone i hope you enjoyed the conversation that we had with scott if you'd like to hear more episodes of rules of the arena make sure to go check it out on apple Podcasts. you can also find me on spotify and wherever you find your favorite podcast if you want to stay up to date with new episodes new guests go follow the show on facebook and instagram you can also join our conversations live on twitch just search for rules of the arena and you can find previous episodes on youtube if you're not tired of hearing my voice, you can also f- look for No Story Left Behind. It's a show supporting veterans and their careers throughout the military. It's an awesome show. It's a lot of fun. I've learned a lot through it. I hope you learned something. And if you'd like to support the show, make sure to go tell your friends, family, coworkers, yeah, friends that you want to annoy and maybe not talk to us so much. This search for Rules of the Arena and No Story Left Behind. If you'd like to support the show directly, head over to patreon.com, search for Rules of the Arena. And I have a little tip jar set up. It's just $1 a month. Really helps me out, bring new episodes and new guests down to you, and forces Casey to keep the lights on and keep putting up recordings with me. Yeah, I get forced, but I don't get invited to the good bits. (laughs) Thanks again, everyone, and we will catch you next time.